20 years ago today, America was attacked by Islamic extremist terrorists, a nation forever changed. We remember today on this special joint edition of the Cigar Dave Show and Bold Alpha Podcasts. Stunning and cowardly strike on the United States. Terrorists and mighty skyscrapers crumbling to the ground. Many innocent people are dead. The president vows the killers will pay for this attack on America. September 11th, 2001. You will remember this day as long as you live. And I will never forget watching the CBS Evening News, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, and those words from Dan Rather, September 11th, 2001, a day you will remember as long as you live. Here we are 20 years later. Remember those words, and I remember the day vividly. Greetings and salutations, Cigar Dave, Alpha Dave, your global five-star general alpha male-in-chief. Today, a very special, somber edition of this joint Cigar Dave and Bold Alpha podcast. I remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly the first time I heard that a plane had flown into the World Trade Center. I remember the day, the shock, the horror, almost being in a state of suspended reality a surreal day and it began in the morning at 8:46 a.m. when american airlines flight 11 hijacked commandeered into the north tower of the world trade center at 9:03 a.m. less than 30 minutes later united airlines flight 175 from boston to lax smashes into the South Tower of the World Trade Center. One hour and 40 minutes later, both World Trade Center towers collapse. All 110 stories collapse pancaked. Watching the video of the scene at the time was horrifying. American Airlines Flight 77 at 9.37 a.m. from Washington Dulles Airport to LAX crashes into the west wall of the Pentagon. And finally, United Airlines Flight 93 from Newark International Airport to San Francisco International Airport at 10.03 smashes into the ground near Shanksville, Pennsylvania after a group of heroic Americans overpower the hijackers and take the airplane not to Washington, D.C., its intended target, possibly the Capitol or the White House, but into the ground. All told, the fatalities, 2,731, the worst attack on America since Pearl Harbor. As I relive the events of that day, 20 years later, I remember very vividly where I was. I had awoken around 7 a.m., I was getting ready, and my office at the time 
for the Cigar Dave Show, Cigar Connoisseur Radio Network, was located at the Clear Channel Tampa headquarters in South Tampa. As the crow flies, maybe two miles, 2.5 nautical miles from Central Command, where, ironically, the war on terror would be the headquarters for all the American and joint forces. Little did, no, did we did we realize how everything would change on that day. So it's 7 o'clock. I get up, showering, shaving, checking a few emails. And I would normally, on a Tuesday, I didn't have much going on for whatever reason that day. Monday I was busy. But that Tuesday I was going to get in maybe around 9.15, 9.30. And as I have the TV on, as I am getting ready at 8.00, a correction, I had the radio on. I had AM Tampa Bay. At the time, it was our flagship 970 WFLA. was our flagship station, one of the premier news talk stations in the country. No longer the case. But Jack Harris and Ted Webb, well-known morning team, were doing their normal morning show when around 846, 847, maybe 848, Jack Harris comes on and says, we're getting reports that a small airplane has crashed into the World Trade Center. Now, in Tampa that morning, it was sunny. It was warm. It's a typical mid, early to mid-September day, hot, humid, not as hot as July or August, but still warm. But I looked outside. It was clear, sunny day. No clouds in the sky at the time. And I said to myself, boy, the weather in New York must be terrible. Maybe on final approach, an instrument approach into LaGuardia. A small plane deviated, but I said, that's really not in the approach path. But who knows? These things possibly can happen. So I immediately turned on the television, and sure enough, I think whatever the news network was at the time, and I can't remember whether it was Fox or CNN, that was probably when CNN was still a legitimate news network, turned on, and of course the first pictures are coming from one of their affiliates. And watching and seeing the smoke billowing out of the North Tower. And as I'm watching this, I'm saying there is no way that that is a small airplane. And then I said, wait a minute. It's a clear, sunny day in New York. There is not a cloud in the sky. It's a VFR day, visual flight rules. No clouds in the sky. Called a Cavu day. Ceiling, unrestri- ceiling and visibility unrestricted. That's what CAVU stands for. Ceiling and visibility unrestricted. As a pilot myself, you live for those days. Those are great days to fly. Great visibility, no clouds. Usually it's a nice ride. And immediately I said, there's no way a small plane crashed. You can't miss that. And as I'm watching the coverage, sure enough, I think I flipped over to the Today Show. And as I'm watching, right after the top of the hour, all of a sudden they're showing, and then you see another airplane come in, smashing the South Tower. And you hear the gasps of, I think it was Bryant Gumbel, Katie Couric, and I gasped, and I know what I said at the time. And just an amazement. And I almost, I think I had a cup of coffee in my hand, put it down, and just sat there for about 30 seconds, motionless, saying... I just bewildered what I was seeing. And then I immediately said, we're under attack. Who's attacking us? 
Well, we came to learn exactly who attacked us. We learned who the enemies were and how this attack was staged by 15 Saudis, two Emiratis, one Egyptian, one Lebanese terrorist. Total of 19 terrorists were able to smash four wide-body aircraft into three landmarks and a fourth that they were going for. Whether it was the cap, I think it was the Capitol, personally, because it was an easier target than the White House. We'll never know. And then it started coming out. We had never heard of Al-Qaeda. Who's Al-Qaeda? We know that there was an, a terrorist attack on the World Trade Center years before. And then we came to find out who Osama bin Laden was. I didn't know who he was. You didn't know his name. But those that worked in the CIA were very familiar with his name. Bill Clinton was familiar with his name. Had the, had the chance to destroy Osama bin Laden and passed because he was involved in managing his impeachment at the time. Total dereliction of duty. A day or two before the 9-11 attacks, George Tenet, the director of the CIA, and John Brennan, at the time I believe the assistant director of the CIA, called Condoleezza Rice, the national security advisor to President Bush. They had received intelligence that a group of terrorists were going to try to somehow attack the federal air system. They didn't know how, but they felt they would do, have to do something. They were getting chatter with commandeering, hijacking an airplane. Of course, they didn't realize the magnitude of what would take place. But they felt it so important and critical to the national security of this country that they called Condoleezza Rice. They didn't call from their offices. They immediately got into their government car, chauffeured car, called from the car and said, tenant said, John Brennan and I are coming over now. We must see you immediately. And she said, well, I've got other things. He said, they have to wait. Urgent, national security. Went into her office, presented the intelligence, and said, you got to shut down the national air system. And Condoleezza Rice replied, wait a minute, you want me to shut down all the flights, ground every flight, and you're just getting chatter? He said, that's exactly what I'm asking you to do. Now, I realize that may have been a hard sell at the time. I realized that she would have had to call the various airlines and said, look, we've got something that's critical. We've got intelligence. We don't know exactly, but we think something's going on. We need a stand down so we can figure out what is happening. And I'll guarantee you, if they had stood down a couple of days, the FBI would have uncovered and would have unveiled the information that these 19 terrorists were getting training at various flight schools, and several of them said, we don't need to learn how to land. We just need to know how to fly the plane. That's a little unusual. When I learned to get my pilot's license, I wanted to know and learn how to take off and especially land. I never went to a flight instructor and said, just teach me how to fly. Don't teach me how to take off and land. And there was an FBI agent in Minnesota that had written a report that ended up getting buried, stating there was factual information and I think it was reported by the flight school that several people came in a little suspicious 
and just wanted to learn how to fly the plane, didn't care about learning how to take off or land. Condoleezza Rice refused. I have said to this day, Condoleezza Rice is an enemy of America. She should have been tried for treason. You are the national security advisor. When the director of the CIA and the assistant director of the CIA felt it so, and deemed it so vital and critical to the national security, they didn't call you from their office and said, hey, can we come over? They got in their, their car and said, we're coming over now. We need to see you stop what you are doing. Well, several days later, on that fateful Tuesday, September 11th morning, the attacks took place. I received a call a few minutes after the second plane crashed on my cell phone from Sutricus, at the time the program director of News Radio 970 WFLA, saying, Are you coming in? And I said, I'm en route now. She said, Good. All hands on deck. I'm going to need you. And I remember good friend Todd Schnitt, who is also known as MJ of the MJ Morning Show. He was on the air that morning. They got on the air normally at 6 a.m. He was on until, I believe, 9 o'clock that night, maybe 9 or 10 o'clock, taking calls from people, passing out information. I was on WFLA. I got information related over through MJ's show and through some of the other stations. It was all hands on deck. And we were still in amazement. We were all walking around the building in this surreal state, watching, witnessing what took place, realizing we're under a terrorist attack. We are doling out this information, and we, every one of us in that building, on air, whether it was salespeople, engineers, operations people, we all, while we were reporting information and all working together, we all wanted to know what the hell is going on? Who the hell attacked us? What is happening? And I will never forget, President George W. Bush was in Florida. He was in Sarasota, stayed overnight, and he was speaking to a, I don't know, if it, was a, it was an elementary school. I don't know what grade it was, but it looked like maybe first, second graders, maybe third graders. And he was sitting there, and the teacher was talking, and I'll never forget, they showed a picture, or showed a video of Andy Card, the chief of staff to President Bush at the time, walking over after the first attack, whispering in his ear, and you see the president nod. And I think at the time, everybody thought it's just a small plane crash, but as the president needs to know about it. And he kind of nodded, kept doing his thing. But then 15 minutes later, 20 minutes later, Andy Card comes in again. And then you see the president really with a concerned look on his face. And then he got up and spoke to the class and said, I, I apologize for having to cut this short, but there have been two planes that have crashed into the World Trade Center. Of course, everybody in the room, the kids, the teachers, every, you hear those gasps again. And I'm sure they immediately ran to a television. They whisked President Bush to the airport, got him on Air Force One immediately. They didn't know if the president was going to be under attack. And they flew around trying to figure out, what, where do we go? What do we do? And Air Force One at the time did not have all the extensive communications gear that it currently has on today. And after 9-11, it's been upgraded so that Air Force One has all the same communications equipment as the Situation Room, 
the Pentagon, the president can talk securely with anybody. Access to all the TV networks, access to information, communications galore. They flew around and they ended up landing at an Air Force base in Oklahoma. And they whisked President, because I believe there was a, a bomb bunker, and they whisked him down there, and they tried to figure out what the hell was going on. And I believe that Vice President Cheney was in the White House, and they got him, if I'm not mistaken, either to the bunker, or the, I believe they got him to the bunker. I don't believe they were going to whisk him out of town. But everybody at the time was in a state of confusion. And at that point, people are wondering who's running the show. We're under attack. Do we send air? Who's attacking us? Is it Russia? Is it China? Other terrorists? Who do we send up? Who do we send? And by the way, you can hear these sirens in the background. That's because I'm at a classified location somewhere in North America. But I felt it important enough to do the show today commemorating, memorializing the events of September 11, 2001. But at the time, I remember people talking, saying, who do we attack? They were getting, they were scrambling all these fighters. You know, where do we go? Who do we? And, and at the time, I think the orders were, if you see a plane, if there's one that's hijacked, we basically shoot it down. We cannot allow it to go to New York, Washington, or another population center. And that was the dilemma. Because the fourth plane, United Airlines Flight 93, that departed Newark at 8.42 a.m., I think around 9.15 a.m. off radar, well, it was on radar, but the transponder, I think, was turned off, but it still was showing, and they saw the flight turning back towards Washington because the original flight path went from Newark, little bit, uh, just a little bit southwest of Cleveland, it makes a U-turn. And it was very clear at the track that it was on, it was on a southeasterly heading, it was heading right towards Washington, D.C. And clearly by then, whether passengers were somehow able to get texts or at the time they had those satellite phones, I'm sure they were somehow able to communicate with people, with relatives, loved ones, what's going on. And I know some families said that they said they're, 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 they're terrorist hijackings, planes that crashed into the Pentagon, the World Trade Center. And there was a very famous word by... One of the passengers saying, let's roll. Let's take these hijackers. Essentially saying we're going to take these hijackers and we're going to do what it takes, but we're not going to let this plane crash into Washington, D.C. In fact, another jet, Delta Airlines Flight 1989, suspected of being hijacked, but the aircraft responded to air traffic controllers and landed safely in Cleveland. And thereafter, every single aircraft was ordered to land at the closest possible airport. International flights traveling west on the Atlantic tracks, coming back for morning arrivals and early afternoon arrivals into Boston, Newark, Washington, Atlanta. They all landed at Gander, Newfoundland. Rows and rows of planes. People had no clue what was going on. I remember the eeriness. There was a ground stop. Almost a week, flights couldn't take off and land. No air travel. And I remember the eeriness in the Tampa skies. Looking out over Tampa Bay, where the airplanes would normally, if they were landing to the north, would come down from the south, or they'd arrive to the south. 
and land on either runway one right or one left. And you didn't see that. You didn't hear it. It was unusual to be traveling around South Tampa and not see aircraft getting ready to land or take off. And that day, when it started to come out that the FBI got moving on at CIA and hints started to come out with pictures of who these people may have, what might have been, then we started hearing Al-Qaeda. And then I'll never forget the picture of Muhammad Atta, the Egyptian hijacker, the terrorist, who was the ringleader. They had a picture of him, the meanness on his face. He looked evil. Sometimes you look at somebody, you look at a serial killer, you look at a murderer, somebody that commits a heinous crime, and when you look at them in their eyes, there's something in their eyes that scares the shit out of you. And looking at the picture of Muhammad Atta that was released to all the media, looking into those eyes, I said, that face, those eyes, the face and eyes of a terrorist. No ifs, ands, or buts. And within hours of the attack, the FBI released the names and in many cases the personal details of the suspected pilots and uh, uh, hijackers, the people who commandeered those aircraft. On September 27, 2001, they released photos of all 19 hijackers along with information about possible nationalities and aliases. And I remember there's a flight school down in Venice, Florida, about 10 miles south of Sarasota. And at that time, FBI agents went to the flight school because some of them came and trained, learned to fly. And all the signs were there. All the signs, all the hints that something was not right about these hijackers that wanted to learn to fly, but in many cases didn't care about taking off or landing. And there were pieces ahead of time, but many of them were ignored. And there was an important bit of information that was ignored by all the, the airlines in the United States. President Clinton formed a commission to examine aviation security. It was headed by Vice President Al Gore. And they made about a dozen recommendations on increasing the safety of air travel. One of the items, they said, most of these private security companies are not properly trained. They were rent-a-cops. They weren't picking up things. They ran various simulations where they would hide an explosive or a, or a gun. And in many cases, it wouldn't be picked up. Went right through the magnetometer, the x-ray machine, boom, that was it. That was a, a weak link. And another weak link that came out of that commission was the fact that reinforced cockpit doors should be installed on all of the aircraft coming in and out of the United States. Hardened doors like they have on El Al or had for many years on El Al. Now, El Al has a system of dual redundancy. There's one door, there's about a three-foot space, four-foot space, and there's a second door. They don't have one cockpit door, they have two. But had all the doors been hardened and the airlines had accepted the recommendation of the commission, 9-11 would not have taken place. The airlines, American, United, Delta, U.S. Air, every airline at the time, Southwest, they all fought tooth and nail against the recommendation, saying it would be a hardship. It would cost us however much per plane 
to retrofit that airplane with a hardened, secure door that could not be accessed from the passenger cabin, that couldn't be broken down. The airlines fought it. There's always a lesson in every story. We look back. We look at the investigation. And there's a weak link. All these weak links were there. When you look at an aviation accident, it's never one thing. It always starts. It never. You never say, well, it's just the engine went out. Well, was there some issue with maintenance that was reported or not reported? Were the pilots fatigued? Was there a hint that the engine wasn't working? It's never one thing. It is a series of events. And as I've learned when I started out learning to fly, my instructors would always say, it's imperative you always break the chain of any potential accident. You look at John F. Kennedy. Not to, to digress here, but John F. Kennedy Jr. That, air, that accident was totally avoidable. That resulted in the deaths of John Kennedy Jr., his wife, and his sister-in-law. And you say, well, how? They were traveling at night. Simple. The first thing is he had a broken uh, ankle. So he was flying with a cast. He went up with a flight instructor, and the flight instructor said, you got problems working the rudders. You shouldn't be flying. That's the first thing. Had he said, yep, I'm not going to fly, it would have broken the chain. And the second thing is he was running late all day. They wanted to leave during the day. He was busy. He got frazzled. Sister wanted to get there. Instead of saying, you know, it's late, I'm stressed, it's going to be dark over the water, I'm not instrument rated, nope, we'll go tomorrow morning. You break the chain. There are numerous occasions to break the chain of not only an accident, but of a disaster, of an attack. All the opportunities to break the link of that chain were present, but they were ignored. And, and then after the airlines are grounded for over a week, they come begging to the U.S. government saying, we need help. You made us, you grounded us for a week. We're broke. We're all going to go Chapter 11. Many of them did. And what happened? The U.S. writes checks to all these airlines for billions. When it was the fault of the airlines themselves, the airline executives and CEOs at the time that were derelict in their duty, that refused to listen to the commission that Vice President Gore headed on hardening and increasing the safety of the U.S. airline system. Had they said, we don't want to spend the money, but we will do so. They knew they were susceptible. They knew they were weak, but they hired lobbyists, and they lobbied, and they fought tooth and nail. And what happens at the end? It costs not only them, but it costs taxpayers billions of dollars to save the asses of these derelict CEO airline executives and these airlines themselves. A common-sense solution. And in the end, they had to harden those doors anyway. Did they save any money at the time? Not a penny, not a nickel, not a dime, not a dollar. It cost them in the end. So as we look at all these chains, these links in the chain, the opportunities were there. Condoleezza Rice could have easily broken the chain. We're going to ground everything. The FBI had found, they found that the FBI and the CIA didn't communicate with each other. They were all territorial. Was that in the best interest? Of our national security? Was that in the best interest of American citizens? We all know the answer to that. And it still happens, unfortunately, today. 
But on that day, I remember, I don't even think, I, I, I'm positive. I didn't stop for lunch. Didn't I, I don't even remember eating that day. I, fa- I think, in fact, I came home late that night around 9 o'clock and grabbed whatever I had. And again, we're all in a daze. You remember where you were. I remember where you were. Sergeant Steve, you remember where you were. You were working at WLW, one of the great radio stations in Cincinnati. You were working on the morning show at the time. You remember exactly who called you and what happened. Yeah, Bill Cunningham called the hotline, said, plane hit a World Trade Center, turn on CNN. I looked up, it's about probably 8.48, 8.49. Looked up, saw it, called the newsroom, and we broke into coverage. And uh, we'll never forget that. And, you, you know, you're kind of, you know, you're trying to figure out what's going on, and you're describing what you're seeing on the television. And, and then at 9.03, that second plane hit, and all the people that were in the control room got silent and we all knew immediately it was like okay this is terrorism this isn't an accident and it's it's you know something you never envisioned happening on our soil until 20 years ago today and it forever changed the united states of america and those that remember that day i think it forever changed all of us again the it was almost a numbing effect where it i think we all walked around in a daze really for, I'd say, more than a week because Mm -hmm. we really didn't feel like it was right to get back to normal. And every day we're getting more information from the media about the attacks, from the FBI, uh, from government officials. And I remember when President Bush finally put his foot down and said, take me back to Washington. And the Secret Service said, no, we don't think it's a good idea. He said, take me back to Washington. We're not hiding. And I believe that night or the next night, he addressed the nation. It was that night. It was that night. So they took him to Nebraska first. He wanted to go to oh, Nebraska, Washington immediately. Not, not, not yeah. Oklahoma, Nebraska. They wanted Correct. to go to Washington immediately. He wanted to. They said, absolutely not. They said, we don't know what we're dealing with yet. You know, we need to get you away from where they might attack. And so they took him to Nebraska. But by that afternoon, he flew back to Washington. Yeah, and I remember him speaking, and I remember he was overlooking – the, I don't know if it was the Washington Monument was in the background. He did not do it from the Oval Office. And I think he did that on purpose. Basically saying, I'm out in the open. I'm not hiding. We're not going to hide. And spoke to the country. And then, of course, he addressed Congress. I think, I don't know, it was a few days later. And, of course, we had great unity at the time. You remember him in New York at the, uh, the site of some I of remember the he and, said, yeah. right. He said, and somebody said something, and he had the megaphone. Said, they said, I can't hear you, and he said, well, can't I hear can you. hear he said, you. I can hear you, and soon the people that did this will hear all of us. And that was the, the first thing. And, of course, nobody, Afghanistan, what the hell is Afghanistan? And then we learned al-Qaeda was being sheltered by the Taliban. And it's almost shameful that 20 years later, the Taliban is right back to where they started 20 years ago. That's the topic of another conversation. But it forever changed the New York skyline. It forever changed this country. It forever changed anybody that was alive. And how many times, I remember the first time I went back to New York, and there were no World Trade Center towers. And it was the oddest thing I've ever seen. And how about watching movies, where movies that were made a year before, two years, three years before, relatively recently, within you know a few years of September 11, 2001, where they'd always have a shot of New York, and you'd always see the World Trade Center towers. Very eerie. 
And not only did the destruction take down the World Trade Center towers, but it also ended up taking out other buildings that were in the World Trade Center complex. Many people forget that there were other buildings. For example, there was World Trade Center 3, 22 stories. World Trade Center 4, that was nine stories. Those were gone. I believe there was a Ritz-Carlton, and people were staying there. They evacuated. And I'll never forget the scenes where they had the TV stations, videographers that were shooting as, and even some were live, as the, as the buildings come down and you see this giant cloud filled with all sorts of toxic materials, as we came to learn afterwards, that would cause the deaths of many first responders. People that were there that would die of lung cancer or other forms of cancer because of all the toxicity that was in the air that day. So you remember all those things, and you remember the destruction. And for that entire week, I would say probably for at least a month, you didn't feel like doing anything. There was no – I believe they canceled – I know they canceled the NFL. Sergeant Steve, do you remember if they canceled college football on that yes, Saturday? Yes, because – well, first of did. all, nobody could fly. They could no, Right, they couldn't fly, and the NFL – Canceled all the games. Yeah. I think baseball resumed either the the Monday or Tuesday after. So it was about a week after. And I believe President Bush threw out the first ball at Yankee Stadium. That was during the playoffs. That was actually during the World Series was that it, year. So that was in October. Okay, so it was during yeah, the that World wasn't Series. the first. So it wasn't back, a week later. Yeah, okay, no. so that was during the World Series. So that would have been probably right a month later or so in early October, late September, early October. No, it was actually probably mid October is when. Yeah, it was mid to late October. Place. Yeah. Right. Right. So everybody, no football that Sunday. And I remember thinking, and it didn't even feel weird because normally you'd say, oh, man, I miss football. Nobody even thought that because I don't think anybody felt like, hey, let's go see a movie. Let's go out celebrating. It was a very somber scene. Well, when sports resumed the following week, baseball started and then, you know, the rest, it was like, should we be here? Should we be doing this? And and that was the conversation among players and fans and organizations and you know but president bush was one at saying we've got to get back to normal we've got to you know right and i remember he said take your family to disney world go travel you know don't stop your life but it was hard not to resume it was hard to resume thinking hey everything's back to normal and we heard the stories of all the families and we would see the funerals you rudy giuliani and the police commissioner the fire commissioner all the funerals that they would attend we heard it night after night and the stories of people and remember people posting pictures of their loved ones have you seen them have you heard them and it's hard to believe that anybody born on september 1st or correction september 11th 2001 today would be 20 years old they weren't around they were born after the attacks and there are kids that were, at the time, four or five years old that remember vaguely. And think about it. Today, they're 25, 26, 27, 28, 30. I just read a story about a teacher whose father, I believe, she was young. She was maybe 10, 11 at the time, and her, whose father was killed in the, one of the World Trade Center buildings. And she's now a teacher. And they interviewed her saying, you were a young child. And she said, I was, but I remember enough as to what happened. And she was going to be teaching her kids yesterday 
uh, about the significance of 9-11. And I just hope that our nation's schools yesterday and in the prelude up to 9-11 took the time to actually talk about American history. You know, if you've listened to my shows for any length of time, that I have a major issue with the fact that history, American history specifically, World War II history, not being taught in the schools today. That is outrageous. And now we see revisionist history being spoken or being taught. That's unacceptable. But I hope that there are enough teachers out there that are patriotic enough to say, we have to talk about this. We're not offending Muslims because it was Muslim radical extremists that attacked the World Trade Center. I don't lump every single Muslim and say, geez, every Muslim is a terrorist. That's not true. Were all the attackers Muslim? Yes. Were they Muslim extremists? You bet. Now, is there a percentage, is maybe 10% of the world, 15%? Do they hate America? Are they extremists? Probably. That's a pretty big number. But do I say all Muslims? Absolutely not. That is absurd. But those terrorists were Muslim extremists. Now, the families that lost family, friends, loved ones in 9-11 have been petitioning the government to release the classified intelligence material on Saudi Arabia's participation. They were stonewalled by President Bush, by President Obama. I don't believe they were necessarily stonewalled by President Trump, but he didn't release it, and he should have. And I know that he wanted to have great relations with Saudi Arabia because he wanted to foster peace between Israel and the Gulf states, including Saudi Arabia. I understand that. But the truth should be told. And I know that there were members of the Osama bin Laden family, the bin Laden family. And you've got to remember, the bin Laden family was very well, a big business family in Saudi Arabia, a large family. Osama bin Laden, I don't know, had what, 10, 12, 15, I don't know however many brothers and sisters, a very large family. Of course, not all the bin Ladens are terrorists. There was one specifically that went off the deep end. But there were bin Ladens that lived, I believe, in Beverly Hills or in Brentwood, and they were whisked out of the country very quietly. Even when the air traffic system was down, it came right from the top. President Bush, you got to remember, the Bush family had a lot of ties, diplomatic and business ties to Saudi Arabia. There is no question that President George W. Bush intervened to allow the bin Ladens and other Saudis to leave. And the bin Ladens knew, of course, they would be blamed. Now, would I make the assertion that one part of the family would, should automatically be blamed? Absolutely not. That's absurd. Because the I would say probably every member of the bin Laden family, they were a very well-established, respected business family in Saudi Arabia and in world business circles. We never heard of them. But after Osama bin Laden, the world heard of them. So that report should be released in terms of Saudi Arabia's participation. And I believe that President Biden will do that if his handlers allow him to do that. But there is pressure mounting, and I believe that will be released. And we will learn the truth. And I'm sorry. It shouldn't take 20 years 
for the truth to be told about Saudi Arabia's participation. My prediction, we will find that in many cases, many of the schools in Saudi Arabia, we already know, many of the uh, schools that are funded by the Saudi government were teaching radical Islamic extremism. We know that some of the course material was vile against the United States, against Israel. So there is no question that there is some form of involvement with the Saudi government. And we want to know who. We know that there were some we know there were many people that were funding these 19 attackers, but there's always more to the story. As Paul Harvey would say, page two. We've seen page one. I am hoping the families of the victims of September 11, 2001 are hoping that they too will uncover page two and page two, the rest of the report on Saudi Arabia's complicity will be released. And when you think about it, the Department of Homeland Security created, the TSA, more bureaucracy, our life changed. And now there's a reason we pat 90-year-old grandmothers and 90-year-old grandfathers and little kids because now everybody's suspected of being a terrorist. There should be a modicum of common sense. Thankfully, we now have the Trusted Traveler program where you can submit to a background check and you can expedite through security, not taking your shoes off and not taking your belt off. And in many cases, not having to go through the x-ray, the big thing that scans you, you go through a magnetometer. And now there's clear, which allows a biometric scan. You apply for that, tells you you are who you are, and you go right to the front of the line. It's a beautiful system. But all the additional hassles we have to go through are because of 19 radical Islamic extremist terrorists. Again, could have been prevented. If we could only go back and change history, if only Condoleezza Rice would have listened to George Brennan, or George Tennant and John Brennan, Brennan when they both came to see her urgently, saying, we have actionable intelligence. There will be an attack, we believe, on America's aviation system. We need to ground all the flights. Imagine if she would have done that, and we would have maybe a day, two days, three days to uncover these leads. America would not have been forever changed. Think about if the airlines would have hardened the doors on all the cockpits and those terrorists couldn't break in to the cockpits. America perhaps would not have been forever changed. But it was on that fateful day, Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, a day we shall all remember as long as we live. At this time, it is appropriate we play our national anthem, one of the greatest renditions of all time. Whitney Houston, Super Bowl 25 in Tampa, Florida, at Tampa Stadium, and the Super Bowl between the Buffalo Bills and the New York Giants, accompanied by the Florida Orchestra, followed by taps as we remember all the victims of 9-11, the first responders, all those that were affected by 9-11.
May the 2,977 victims of the September 11, 2000 attacks rest in peace. May their memories live on, as well as the thousands of others that have been lost because of the after effects of 9-11. We shall never forget. America shall never forget. And as Dan Rather stated on the CBS Evening News that night so succinctly, September 11th. 2001, a day you shall remember as long as you live.